the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we head into Hour 3, I have wanted with uh, Professor Mark Bauerlein for some time now. He's been on my mind a lot. He's uh, a guest, but uh, more importantly... Senior editor at First Things, uh, professor emeritus at Emory University, prolific author and writer, and uh, very active, obviously, uh, also on Twitter. You can follow him at Mark underscore Bauerlein. And I wanted to talk to him, given his both political and cultural expertise, about um, the question I've been kind of posing earlier in the week, throughout the week, which is how stands the state of conservatism right now? Um, Mark, Professor Bauerlein, welcome back to the show, and thanks for taking some time with us. Uh, I'm glad to join you. Thank you, sir. I don't know if it's the time of year. I don't know if it's post-election. I don't know if it's the uncertainty that comes with the election. But there seems to be uh, a lot of different things being said about and among and in the conservative movement. How stands it right now? Where, Where do you think the conservative movement is? Where do you see it going? Well, in, in the past, we've seen arguments within the conservative movement between libertarians and social conservatives, religious conservatives, free market type, small government, and uh, the moral majority of people. And those tend to be ideological battles waged over ideas and, and values. What I see today, Seth, is, is quite different. Yeah. To me, this is a social battle. Okay. It is a battle between conservatives who have been occupying positions in think tanks, in government, in in well-funded institutions, and all of the rank-and-file conservatives, the people who haven't been living off of the conservative movement in, in any way. They're not politicians. They don't have jobs in Washington, D.C. or on the island of Manhattan. And so what we really see here is a social difference between one class of conservatives who are in some way part of the establishment, the big E. Maybe some of them are part of the swamp in a certain region of, of the swamp. And then you've got the Trump supporters right. who are outsiders. I mean, it's very important that Donald Trump was not a D.C. guy. Right. And, I mean, this has been said many, many times, but... We're seeing this continue to play out. It's why Donald Trump was having such a hard time for so long and still getting people to work in his administration who were not part of Conservative Incorporated. And yet, fair to say, this presidency of Donald Trump's, starting with the cabinet but going into policy, has been one of the most conservative administrations one could think of, right? It's it's been amazing how, uh, you know, before, in 2016, before the election, I talked with some people who were connected to Ralph Reed's organization, you know, Moral Majority Family Values Group, 
And they were telling me, Donald Trump is not a conservative. You can't support him. And they were supporters of, of uh, Ted Cruz, uh, ultimately. Now, has any president been stronger on pro-life and on religious liberty than Donald Trump? No, not at all. So here, you've you got to look at the record. Cultural conservatives bought the line that Donald Trump is just a vulgar guy from Queens. He's a real estate dude. <clears throat> Barack Obama is so super educated and polished and very intellectual. And, and what a fall this is. Well, let's take a look at a few things. Donald Trump did an executive order a few months ago about federal architecture. Mm -hmm. Now, architecture, our building in the federal government has been awful for 50 years. Mm -hmm. It's been modernism from the mid-century forward, brutalist, horrible buildings. Nobody likes them. And a lot of it is based upon architectural theory, the modernist and postmodernist, turning things like the mall, you know, into into their own little fairy tale wonderland like this Eisenhower memorial for architectural theory and star architects. Trump did an executive order saying all federal building now must follow some classical model. Mm -hmm. That's what gave us the Jefferson Memorial, mm -hmm. the Lincoln Memorial, the National Archives building, the beautiful... The places people city. actually want to visit when they go to D.C., yeah. And they love, I mean, are there going to be any coffee table books made out of the African-American Museum the way there are out of the the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial? No. So here's Donald Trump upholding high standards of culture, much higher than Barack Obama, who, by the way, loves TV. He loves Sports Center. He did a list of his favorite songs the other day. It had Beyonce and... Stevie Wonder, I mean, had a few concessions to the Great American Songbook, but it was just pop culture. It stuff. almost looked so, poll tested, to be honest with you. Yeah, it did. It did. He, caught, he, he got all he got all all the pieces. Uh, and Trump, after the Republican convention, do you remember Donald Trump has the celebration of the White House, and what was the music they played? Puccini opera, mm -hmm. okay, beautiful music. So again. This, these conceptions of Donald Trump is not a conservative. They just don't hold up on the record. By the way, a lot in the however one wants to call it, values voter movement, social conservative, moral majority types, a lot of them came around and became some of his most uh, <clears throat> active supporters and defenders uh, over time. They I, did. They be did. Because they and came to recognize that there's no, no nothing like a result. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's nothing like getting. Yeah, this. I mean, I mean, I mean, I point out I, if you want someone, if yeah, I, I I do this with my never Trump listeners. I'm not even sure they're Republicans, but you know, Mark, if if you want someone of great moral upstanding, um, I can give you Jimmy Carter. I can give you Jimmy Carter. You know, it's, look, it's not I, a presidency I, I want. Lunch. You know, I uh, you know about twelve years, ten years ago, I had lunch with Jimmy Carter. Yeah. He, he he actually has an affiliation with Emory University. Of course, he had a couple professors over to the Carter Center. I sat down with Jimmy Carter and had lunch with him. The other professor actually didn't say very much, but. Jimmy Carter, he, well, I asked him questions about his presidency, about Teddy Kennedy, and, uh, you know, he, he's still, he's still, that, that loss in 1980 is a live wound yep. for him, too. Yep. He was altogether engaging 
and intelligent and, and well-read, and which goes to, you know, you cannot take these first impressions mm-hmm. on, a, on, on a leader as the record of his eventual leadership. Right. you got to look at, at, you know, where the walk, you know, does he walk the walk? Where right. does that fall? And the, I, I would say that to get back to the issue of the conservative battles sure. right now, sure. and I, I believe most of the Republican Senate wanted Donald Trump to lose. Hmm. They don't want him around. He ruins the game for the political class hmm. in D.C. Hmm. They wanted to keep the Senate, absolutely. And they're probably gambling that a Biden-Harris administration is going to be so bad that they'll retake the House in 2022. And they won a lot of state seats that help with the redistricting, that they'll retake the House and that, again, Biden and maybe President Harris by 2022 will be so bad that they'll win the White House in 2024. So they'll have all three, uh, Congress, uh, House, Senate, and the White House in 2020, by 2024. They were thinking, hey, if we can get rid of Donald Trump, that's what will happen. So this was the establishment fighting back. And I think that's why we've seen so much silence on the part of the Republican Senate regarding all the election controversy. You've uh, you've said a lot here. Uh, uh, we're talking to Professor Mark Bauerlein, uh, editor at First Things and uh, English professor emeritus at Emory University. Um that I want to plunge into. Uh, do you have a little time for us tonight, or do you have to run? Sure. I, I'd, sure, I'd sure, love yeah. to explore a couple things. Let me ponder this. Let me pose this one to you before the break to ponder a little bit. Um, I want to come back to that Senate issue in 2024 in a moment as well. But when you were talking about conservatives and think tank world, conservatism, Inc., as, as you and I have both called it, um, is, part of, is part of this kind of an odd letdown a lot of us are trying to come to terms with in the sense that you think of the modern conservative movement, William Buckley, all the great stuff that came out of the 60s. You think about you know the origins of the modern conservative movement. It couldn't have happened without National Review. And then that turned out over the last several years to be a huge letdown. Same too, you might say, the Weekly Standard. Some of our, what we depended on and what were there for a lot of important fights left us or we left them. And I wonder if that hasn't caused a lot of um, some kind of internal uh, conservative uh, psychological confusion. Can we come back on that if there's a point in there? Maybe there isn't, Mark, but I'd love sure. to. Okay. Sure, yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Mark Bauerlein. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight to have one of my favorite public intellectuals, uh, Professor Mark Bauerlein, with us of Emory University, First Things Magazine. <clears throat> and I want to get his thoughts on a few things having to do with elections going forward, uh, as well as this Texas suit, which he tweeted something very interesting about. But first, my question, Mark, as we're heading into the break, there may be nothing to it. It just dawns on me when you think about the modern American intellectual conservative movement, William Buckley, National Review, you look at some of the founding documents, the first issue of National Review, the Sharon Statement, these things with some minor adjustments, perhaps replacing, I don't know, with some minor adjustments, they could have fitted the Donald Trump America First agenda quite well. And yet, 
a lot of us were let down by those founding institutions, whether it was Bill Crystal or was it, whether it was the National Review magazine itself. And I'm, I'm just wondering if that created something big that we haven't come to grips with or if it just highlighted something or, or if there's nothing to what I'm saying, maybe. Well, you know, ma- magazines run their course. Uh, they're founded at times. They change uh, with the times. Sometimes the times change too much for the magazines to change, especially if the magazines have big funders, big donors, who don't like the changes going on and start trying to resist it. I think that uh, I-, I love reading the Weekly Standard. I-, I-, I found it had it had wit and it had angles on things. Uh, and I, I published a lot in the weekly yeah, stand, about sure. 25 pieces sure. over the years. Uh, not not in National Review, but I read National Review as well. And I think you look at what happened in the Obama administration, and then 2016 came along, and everyone in the establishment world, including the magazine people, those intellectuals, they saw a stellar cast of Republican candidates, which is successful governors, Jeb Bush, young Marco Rubio, seems like a rising star. It looks great. And they had they had more than a dozen to choose from. And here comes Mr. Orange Hair, and he wipes the floor with everyone. And I think that it it was it was an interesting time. Mm-hmm. It was it was a radical time in which if you're planted into a groove, and the groove has done very, very well for you for many years, something like this comes along, it's very hard to get out of that groove. Mm-hmm. And you've got people telling you not to, people with money telling you not to, and I, I think that the predictable thing happened. You found a lot of people just finding your message, which seemed so strong and salient three years ago, it just doesn't seem quite adept anymore. There, there's something, something about the, the conditions on the ground you don't seem to be in close contact with. And I think that, that's what happened to those magazines, and that's why they lost a lot of readers. The Weekly Standard eventually folded. There's an old military expression, Mark, that says if uh, the, uh, the camp you're on, if the ground in the camp you're on doesn't match the map, the map's wrong. <laughs> and, 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 and no, they, no, 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 no. We fought so well. We spent so much time right. on that map. It's got to be right. Right, right. There's that, and then there's the old Midge Dector lesson. You know, she had this thing called the Committee for the Free World, one of the only nonprofits to ever close by volition of its founders. She closed it in 1990 and asked why yeah. she said we don't need it anymore. Well, maybe she needs it now, but or we need it now. But that was the point. She understood the war was won. And there was no use anymore. But it would have been nice to not have to fight with these guys in defending conservative principles for the last four years. It would have been better than nice because I think they abandoned principle and not us. Honestly, I do. Well, when we look at the ways in which the left is exerting such tight party discipline, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're a unified block. When was the last time one liberal Supreme Court justice stepped over and voted with the conservatives. It just doesn't happen. Right. Whereas our conservatives, 
how many times did one or two conservatives jump over and join join the liberals? Right. That, When's the last time a liberal you know, appointee had their high school yearbook gone through? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, it, it. I think that one of the things to realize is just how ruthless is the left in America today. That this woke revolution has a lot of momentum to it, and they are, they want to take some scalps. And the establishment conservatives, if you live inside D.C. or Manhattan, you don't really have to sit right across the table from the woke crazy. You, 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 you are insulated. Your kids don't go to school where they're putting critical race theory into the curriculum and forcing your kids to listen to this garbage. You don't have to put up with that. Your kids go to private school. Mm-hmm. Your grandchildren go to private school. You live in really nice neighborhoods that are not falling apart mm-hmm. because of Democrat, liberal, left-wing policies. Mm-hmm. So part of it is just you're in a bubble. You're out of touch. And Donald Trump came in and told them so, and that really, really humiliated them. They couldn't believe Donald Trump doesn't care yeah. what we think. Yeah. That's right. Wow. That's right. That's right. And that was as true of, of, of the conservative magazines, National Review Weekly, as it was CNN and MSNBC, or NBC, I should say. He, sh- he showed yeah. them he didn't think they were in charge, and they thought they were in charge. They did. They thought right. they were in charge, and most Republicans treated and him that way. That's right, and, and they will never forgive Donald Trump for doing that, because it is, again, it's a humiliation. Yeah. It's not a disagreement. And they've been living on that status. I mean, the, the New York Times loved the fact that a whole lot of Republicans still cared what the New York yep. Times said about them. Yep. yep. Donald Trump didn't. Yep. That's absolutely right. And 70-plus million Americans didn't, which is the next two things I wanted to talk to you about. One was this issue of 2022-2024, um, which I was going to get to next, but I think it probably presupposes something that maybe we shouldn't presuppose because you texted, you tweeted something really interesting about this Texas suit, and I wanted to explore that with you. Um, I'm heading into a quick break. Can you can you stay and come back on that and then talk about the future sure. of the uh, the Republican Party? I, I'd appreciate that sure. greatly. We're talking with Mark Bauerlein. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark underscore Bauerlein, B-A-U-E-R-L-E-I-N. As we head to break, let me put in a word from one of our great sponsors, Balance of Nature, which is my favorite product. I take it every single day, all organic, no chemicals, no GMOs, tens of thousands of vital nutrients from 100% whole food, plants, fruits, and vegetables every single day with simply one daily dose. They have a great deal offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. Boost your energy, your health, and your immunity with Balance of Nature. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I didn't know that song was coming on, but yeah, <laughs> Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Where Our guest is Mark Bauerlein. He's an editor at First Things Magazine, professor of English um, at Emory University, emeritus, author of great books, including The Dumbest Generation. Mark, you, um, you tweeted an interesting observation, speaking of lawyers, um, an interesting observation about this lawsuit from the state of Texas that now 
Several other states, 17 or 18 other states, have now joined as friends of the court on behalf of Texas. Would you go into that a little bit? It's a great observation. Well, I found that a lot of the commentary on the lawsuit was legal commentary. What are the legal merits of this case? How is the court going to decide? But for me, it was more of the political impact Mm -hmm. of this filing, the political impact in that one of the main arguments we hear from the media, from the Democratic Party, is all these challenges of fraud. They're just a bunch of conspiracy mongers and Trump cultists who are pushing this. Uh, Sidney Powell, uh, she's a nut. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has gone off the deep end. Well, with this lawsuit, Texas and 17, 18 other states now, they can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the political impact. We're talking about a fair portion of the country now has expressed it is very unhappy about what appears to have gone on in these in these border borderline states. And so the Supreme Court, you know, John Roberts in particular, thinks about the political issues and often judges based uh, upon is this a good for the country? Right. Well. If, if, these, if the fraud allegations were just a, a minor conspiracy theory by some very loud people, including the president, well, they could just sort of say, this, this is not something... Not enough serious. there. Not well, enough there, yeah. Now, right. they have to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're going to rule in, in favor of Donald Trump or, or of the state, but it can't be passed off now as just some minor league complaining. Right. I think that's a very good observation. I had a call earlier saying, do I think the judges who have been dismissing cases, do I think they're thinking, you know, what's, you know, from a position of either cowardice or a position of might 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 my ruling cause riots in the streets from the left? Are we looking at political blackmail like we did with the BLM movement or the Black Panther Black Panthers in the 60s and colleges then? I don't know. I don't know. But This is a really important point because you do know that about John Roberts. You do know, we do know enough about John Roberts that he thinks about what the court's effect on the country will be. And yeah, yeah, to, to put a, to put a fine point on it. Yeah. When you have almost 20 and maybe you will get 20 state attorney generals telling, uh, telling you there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. It's not just Sidney Powell anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, the argument that judges have said in dismissing these challenges, well, you can't just go disenfranchise right. millions of voters because of such and so because of these allegations. Well, now we have Now voters. Texas is saying we're disenfranchised. That is what their case exactly. is. That is the case. Right. That, that, that takes that argument off the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that – and it's a nice turning of the tables. The only other point I wanted to raise with you before um, – I would let you return to your otherwise calm evening, Mark, was the future, because uh, some listeners and I had put together a list of a bench of people who are supportive of the MAGA movement. It's a pretty impressive group of people that have come along that we can look forward to, whether we're talking about, uh, I don't know, the governor of Florida, DeSantis, Tom Cotton, Christy Noem. Uh, uh, Josh Hawley, and then a whole lot of others, too. I mean, the names keep coming in. We have a bench like we didn't have, haven't had in a long time. You know, the Reagans and Goldwaters, I have to remind people, 
they were challenging, as Donald Trump was, the Republican establishment. We may have a new set point in the Republican Party. We may. We may. But that's right. And I think that a lot of the establishment party people in D.C., again, they live inside the Beltway, which is another reality. I think a lot of them still believe that if we just get rid of Donald Trump, we can go back to normal. Yeah, I don't think there is a and go doing that. I think that, right. Yeah, I don't think and, we're and, Yeah, the Republican Party can go back to being libertarian, small mm-hmm. government, mm-hmm. free market, you know, lower taxes, kind of party. The donors will love it. And that uh, this is a blip. Donald Trump is just a bump in the in the road of, of history. I, I think that that's a massive miscalculation. Yeah, I think they want to say our long national nightmare is over, and we're saying, have you ever seen a dream walking? That's what I think. Well, and if they think that the left is is going to go away, if, you know, if they believe that all of the upsurge of anger, hysteria, rioting on the left is because of Donald Trump, Right. They're crazy. Right. Well, this is, this is a symptom of a group of people who've actually never had to be in the presence of a bunch of leftists who were in the process of destroying an institution. Exactly right. That's that they have no... Remember, Ronald Reagan had to face off against communists in Hollywood in the 40s mm-hmm. directly, and he had to face off against all of the anti-war, the hippies, the hard left counterculture when he was governor of Clark California. Kerr, you bet. Mm-hmm. You bet. So that, he cut his teeth looking straight into the eyes of these ideological hardliners. None of these, none of these Republican senators in D.C. ever have to That's do right. that. That's right. That's right. Mark Bauerlein, you're great. Thank you for spending some time with us. I knew I wanted to hear from you, and now I remember why. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mark Bauerlein. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you are in the midst of selling your house and it's not going well, or if you're interested in selling your home or looking to buy a home, I want you to call my friend James Wexler at JMG Real Estate. If you are selling, you won't leave any money on the table. If you are buying, he will get you the best deal based on his proprietary state-of-the-art marketing and databases. He also can guarantee to sell your home at market value or pay the difference or make you even an upfront guaranteed offer within 24 hours if that's your preference. Give my friend James Wexler a call at 480-386-0711 or visit him online at jameswexler.com. That's jameswexler.com. I saw a call on the board. It dropped off earlier. It was happy and looking forward to addressing it or seeing what the caller wanted to say, saying, stop the hostility towards atheists. Um, I didn't know that I, I'm always willing to be pointed to where I was wrong. I didn't know I was engaging in hostility. I don't remember what that could be about. In any event, um, update on what Mark Bauerlein and I were just talking about, 17 states had filed amici briefs, amici briefs with the Supreme Court in uh, Texas v. 
uh, Pennsylvania and uh, three other swing states, um, siding with Texas, and now, too, so has Arizona. So it's now 18 states. State Attorney General Mark Burnovich sent out this press release or statement today. Today we filed a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court in Texas v. Pennsylvania. It is important that everyone has faith in this system and the results of the election. The rule of law is about consistency and certainty. I believe Arizona wasn't named in this lawsuit because our office successfully prevented many of the same troubling and last-minute changes to our integrity laws, states and election integrity laws, but our legal filing ensures Arizona's interests are protected, and I look forward to the Supreme Court addressing these national election concerns. That That is the interesting aspect of it. When everyone was saying you can't disenfranchise, courts shouldn't be in the business of disenfranchising a vote. Uh, the Texas Attorney General flipped that script and said, well, these states that violated their own laws, um, they disenfranchised our vote because they helped produce a national result that um, is opposed to the result we gave you by following our own laws. Interesting flipping of that script. I think um, Mark is also right that this is something John Roberts is probably loath to see. But if you get four justices, um, then you can have a you can have a hearing before the Supreme Court. It only takes four to get get a hearing before the Supreme Court. And I, you know, everyone would go into the counting the, probably the same way I would, which is uh, Barrett, Thomas, Alito, and then you just need, you know, one more. And you can get one more. You can get one more. Perhaps Gorsuch. Perhaps someone else. But it, you have that option. Um, there was a column I wanted to draw your attention to over at American Greatness. I suppose it's probably elsewhere as well. And that's Dennis Prager's most recent column titled The Torah Versus the Left, Tomorrow Night's Hanukkah. So um, the Torah is the uh, the first five books of the Bible, known as the five books of, of Moses. It's the foundation for the rest of the Bible. And he talks about the left and the Bible and how basic laws and values in the Torah are simply opposite of what the left advocates. You can understand, if you read this column a little better, why Marx would talk of religion being an opiate of the masses, an opioid of the masses. Leviticus says, do not show favoritism to a poor person in passing. Ju uh, excuse me, Exodus says, do not show favoritism to a poor person in passing judgment. Leviticus says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor, favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. The left advocates judging the poor differently. A poor man who commits almost any crime, including a violent crime, is not held to the same legal or moral standard as other people. As Christopher Rufo reported last week, in October, the Seattle City Council floated legislation to provide an exemption from per prosecution for misdemeanor crimes for any citizen who suffers from poverty, homelessness, addiction, or mental illness. Under the proposed ordinance, courts would have to dismiss all so-called so crimes of poverty, which, according to the city's former public safety advisor, would cover more than 90 percent of all misdemeanor cases city-wide. How about honor your father and mother? How about that? 
parental authority as much as divine authority is probably the greatest single obstacle to the left attaining control over society. Therefore, the left, like all totalitarian movements and like all cults, has always sought to undermine parental authority. Indeed, disruption of the nuclear family was one of the main claims of the BLM movement, and the Smithsonian told us it was a sign of whiteness to have two married parents with children, parents married of the opposite sex. They also told us Christianity was a sign of whiteness. Very interesting that. I'll close with a thought from Prager on that when we come back. Bill, you pointed out a great pet peeve of mine. People say attorney generals. It's not. It's attorneys general. Begs the question what you call the plural of Bigfoot. But uh, I, I think it's Bigsfoot. But in any event, folks, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Um, I wanted to close with um, some of what Dennis was writing. Dennis Prager was writing in his piece, The Torah Versus the Left. I think it's really good. Several lists of where the Torah and the left depart. Four is really important. Race means nothing. The creation of one human being, Adam, whose race is unknown. Did you know that? His race is unknown made it impossible to argue that race matters. This is another major conflict between the left and the Bible, given how important race is to the left. Adam, and therefore every human being, is created in the image of God, and of course God has no color. Nor do Jews. I mean, Dennis is writing from the perspective, from the perspective of, of a Jewish, um, uh, follow, uh, 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 an adherent to Judaism. We celebrated Sammy David Jr.'s birthday yesterday, he converted to Judaism. You can be any color in Judaism. People don't realize this. Ilan Omar doesn't know this. Rashida Tlaib doesn't know this. But the majority um, uh, uh, the majority of, of Jews in Israel are not white. Most most people don't know that. They think it's this European. The majority are not. Um, the race thing is going to plague us for some time. This is why you see what Joe Biden did yesterday in appointing his nominee to the position of Secretary of Health and Human Services. Not even Joe Biden could get the name of the department right, by the way. I know he botched the name of the Attorney General of California, Becerra, but he announced him as the Secretary of Health and Education. That department hasn't existed since 1979. Health, education, and welfare, they were all broken up. That's why there's a Secretary of Education and a Secretary of Health. And, <laughs> good Lord, good Lord, and a Department of Health and Human Services. Well, folks, until tomorrow, God bless you and class dismissed.